Hi, welcome back. I hope you had a good weekend, long weekend. Some of you will have one more day, two more days, Monday, Tuesday. And others of you may have gone back to work already. Well, I hope you had a good rest, but I also hope that you had good time, good family time and reunions. Well, first of all, let me apologize. Um, on Friday, I told you to look forward to Sunday when uh, I would make an announcement and Sunday after the sermon, after the service, some of you came to me and asked me, hey, so what was the big announcement about? Well, it turned out it was quite an anticlimax to some of you. The announcement was that I was going to ask all of you to consider staying back rather than rushing off at 12 or 12.15 after service, but to consider that service would end at 1 o'clock. Not that I would extend the service, but that after service, you would go to a coffee shop to the food court and then maybe some of you if you have time to have lunch or to have a drink and talk with each other i also encouraged you to look out for people that you didn't know uh, never eaten before never spoken before and then to have a time with them just to get to know them my hope is that after a while everyone in this church gets to know a little of each other and then i talked about having blessed conversations preparing yourselves by praying and asking that God will bless your conversations and then going out believing that the Holy Spirit will guide you. So that was the important part. But that's, that's more to come. We are looking forward also to bridging the generation gap. We are looking forward to us working closely together in outreach, also in interest groups along the way. So there will be more announcements of that sort uh, of us reaching out to each other in interest groups, in time together over meals, um, so that as a body we get closer to each other, we can minister to each other, but also that we can welcome uh, those who are not Christians into our group, in our, to our friendships without being threatened. We could just say, hey, come and join my, my group. There's a cooking class or, or something like that. Just have time with us. And... Along the way, we will start um, organizing some of these things. Okay, so now let's go to our passage for today. It's Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 50. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 50. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us truths, even truths that are difficult to hear, difficult to accept. We pray that you give us tender hearts, open, softened hearts, that as your truth comes to us, hard as it may seem to us, to receive your word of truth, that our lives may be different. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 50. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. 
The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. This is how it will be with this wicked generation. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the biggest mistakes that churches have made in the recent century is that we have prioritized conversion over transformation. We have prioritized conversion over transformation. That's not to say that we do not look at transformation or discipleship, but what it does mean is that often we spend all our time converting people. And then sometimes we forget after conversion to follow them up. Personally, then we emphasize that it's so important to receive Christ and always we ask, well, has he received Christ? Have they received Christ? Have you received Christ? And we often stop at that. And sometimes then helping a person to walk in the Lord becomes an option. But in the eyes of the Lord, we have got it completely wrong. In this parable, Jesus talks about a man whose heart has been swept clean. That's exactly like conversion. A person comes and receives Christ and says, I want to live, I want Christ to live in me. And then after that, he does nothing to let Christ live in him. What happens then is that the demons have left him. And after a while, they come back and he's still empty. He's ready, almost ready receptacle for anything that dwells in him. And so the demons take another demon takes another seven demons worse than he is, and they come and live in that man. Little wonder that often Christians, often the church is the most weak is more wicked, it's more vicious, it's more hostile, it's more anxious than non Christians. That often as we look at the lives of Christians, we wonder why is Christianity so much more miserable than when we are not Christians? Why are Christians so much more into politics, bad politics, office politics? Why are they so unkind, ungenerous, more so than those who are not Christians? I've encountered many, many examples of that sometimes to my great sorrow. When I was working with Prison Fellowship, one of our projects was that at Christmas, we would bring Christmas gifts to the parents, the families of prisoners. And often when we reach to non-Christian parents of prisoners, 
They would welcome us and call us to sit down and ask us how the sun was and show such gratitude about how we have cared for their sons. But so often and more often than not, when we visited Christian families, they would tell us, hey, don't come again. Please don't talk to us again. Don't let the neighbours see that you are from prison fellowship. We want nothing to do with prison. So much shame. And we wonder, isn't Christianity the faith of generosity, of grace, of forgiveness? And yet we see so much more shame among Christians. The problem is that we have prioritised conversion. We see that once a person is saved, a person has become a Christian, that's it. Once saved, always saved. We've got salvation. Salvation has come to the home. And we don't think anymore about transformation. But to Jesus, transformation is far, far more important than conversion. To Him, a person's life must be changed. Otherwise, all that He has are more demons in His life. So this doctrine of salvation, of receiving Christ, and that's all, seems to go against what Jesus is teaching. To Jesus, as long as a life is not transformed, as long as the Spirit of God does not dwell in that life, nothing's changed. Things may even have gotten worse, and he calls it and he calls it a wicked generation. A wicked generation. You see, so often the church has made this mistake. We have thought that once a person is saved, he is bound for heaven. But that's only the first part. And it could get even more damaging if we do not look at the second. We need to change our way of looking at conversion. The conversion is only the start and opening for the transformation of lives. Without the transformation of lives, conversion itself is counterproductive and may be more damaging to the person who has come to the Lord. What is needed? Well, Jesus talks about a wicked generation whereas Jesus, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law approached him and they wanted to see a sign from him. And Jesus said that if men of Nineveh had seen what was happening, had repented because of the preaching of Jonah, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise in judgment and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon has come. What Jesus was saying is that there must be a turning away, a repentance. You see, we often think of repentance as just saying sorry one time and then that's it. Once again, a good start and we end at a good start. But repentance is not about saying sorry. Repentance is changing the lifestyle completely. It's making, taking steps, even paying the price, sometimes taking costly steps to make a change in our lives. A friend of mine was caught committing adultery with another woman. He said he was sorry and then he expected life to go on. He was frustrated that his wife would not forgive him. After a year, he was still complaining, why is my wife still so cold towards me? Why does my wife 
how many times must I say sorry? I've said sorry already. Let's all, let's move on. I spoke to the wife and knew how hard it was for her to move on because there was no change in his heart. He was the offender, but he turned out, behaved like the, like the victim. How many times must I say sorry? Why is she still angry with me? About two years later, his wife found out that he had committed adultery again, this time not with one woman, but with many women. So she packed up her bags, called her children, and began prepared to leave the home. This man, this friend, who was then working in Australia, suddenly realised what was at stake. He realised that he was going to lose his wife and his children, his whole family. And then he repented. He flew all the way back to Singapore, had a long talk with me, and then he decided he would change his lifestyle completely. He pleaded with his wife to just wait a little while. And then he took drastic steps. He stopped going out with any of his friends. He came, came home every day for dinner, spent time with his family. And then he asked to be transferred back to Singapore. That was at the risk of him being demoted and losing his job. But to him, nothing else mattered. All he wanted was to change his lifestyle. He joined his wife in a Bible study and started taking the Bible seriously. He did everything he could to make life different. And this time when his wife saw what he did, she was convinced that he was really going to change. You see, lip servicing, sorry lah, does not cut it. When we come to realise that we have sinned, when we come to see Jesus giving his life for us, true repentance must take place. And the true repentance then is to say, I will change my lifestyle. I want to be different. I want God to be in my life. Tomorrow we'll look at the parable of the sower and the seeds and the ground. And we'll understand how much more clearly what it means to repent and change our lives. Today, I want us to think about this. Is it good enough for you just to receive Christ and continue to live a life that is filled with bitterness, filled with lust, filled with all sorts of things that drag you down? Is it really life abundant? Or do you want a life that is intimate with God, that is filled with your the peace of God and the love of God, that is full of joy and grace and patience and love? Is that the kind of life you would rather have? Then just receiving Christ isn't enough. There is, you must call to begin to let God transform you. In this same passage, we read that Jesus was, while Jesus was talking to the crowd, his mother and his brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to him. wonder why that was important. I suppose it was not simply that, well, you want to talk. It was probably that the crowd was so thick that his mother and brothers wanted and because they claimed fam family ties 
that they would be given priority to come and talk to him. Jesus was surrounded by a crowd. Surely he would give priority to his mother and to his brothers. But Jesus then made a statement. He said, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples, You who follow me, you who follow, do the will of my father, is my brother and sister and mother. What Jesus was saying is that, sure, my, my natural, my birth mother and brothers are there. They are my mother and my brother by birth. But how important is this? How important is it just to have familial ties when there's no intimacy, there's no sense that we are together with God? It's the same about conversion. Being converted may make you a son of God, a child of God, and a brother or sister with Jesus. But what's the use of that if we don't walk together intimately? If we don't share the same mission in life, share the same compassion, share the same values, if we aren't like Jesus who wants to do the Father's will, if constantly we're walking away from each other because we don't agree with each other, what's the use of familial ties? If you really want familial ties to see Jesus as your brother, then we walk together and we seek the will of the Father together. Allowing God to transform our lives is far more important than just being converted because the goal is to walk with Jesus to share in His values and His mission and His heart. Let us pray. Father, often we think that it's just good enough to be a Christian. It's good enough to come to church. It's good enough to have received Christ. It's good enough to go to heaven. But Father, we've missed the point altogether. Because in being complacent, in not allowing your spirit to come and live in us, what we have simply done is to allow evil spirits to come, devil to tempt us again and to cause havoc in our lives. And our complacency has caused greater harm to ourselves and to others. Forgive us for that. Help us, Lord, to know that we need your Spirit to live in us, to guide our steps, to guard our hearts, to draw us closer to Jesus, that we may walk with Jesus, and to do the will of our Father. So God, we pray for today. Help us, Lord, to allow your Spirit to live in us. And Lord, begin the transformation in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, tomorrow we'll meet again and we'll talk about what it means to take action to allow God's Word God's Spirit to work in us. Have a good day. God bless you.